Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts, best-selling authors, and moms around the world. Hi, old friends. Thanks for keeping me company on Instagram the past couple weeks. Hello, new listeners. This is our 191st episode. I started this podcast with my girlfriend, Bianca Kylik when my baby was a year old. Now I have another baby that's a year old. But that first baby that was a year old is Sabrina, and now she's turning five this week. Speaking of babies, today we're talking about the NICU, the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. So doctors determine your due date based on 40 weeks. So you imagine that the baby's going to be in the oven for 40 weeks. Babies born before 32 weeks are considered very preterm, like very, very preterm. And our first guest, Rachel, delivered her twins at 28 weeks. And our second mom, Stacy, delivered at 32 weeks and five days. Throughout this episode, you'll be hearing from these two mamas who spent a heck of a lot of time at the NICU with their twins. They're happy endings all around. I am so impressed by their willingness to share their experiences and their positivity and their like mama bear fierceness. <laughs> Damn, these women are so strong. Our second guest, Stacey Merwin, she's a girlfriend of mine from high school. A shout out to our Performing and Visual Arts High School, HSPVA, class of 01. Uh, she was in the vocal department. I was not in the vocal department, but we haven't spoken since high school until this phone call. By the way, there's no prep or scripting in these conversations. We're just winging it. And she's such a pro. So apologies all around for my reaction sounds. Like I've been also, guys, I've been like weirdly insecure lately about everything, but that's because I'm hearing this information for the first time as well. Stacy reminds us that we are always the number one advocate for our kids. You got to listen to her story. I hate that there's like one story, then the second story. Like I wish they could both be playing at the same time because they're both so amazing. So don't drop out after the first, promise. First though, I would like to introduce you all to Rachel Finger. She's the co-founder of Griff and Ivy Rose, which creates naturally luxurious herbal blends for children. She lives in Miami Beach, Florida with her husband and three daughters. The eldest are identical twins turning five in December. They are who we're talking about today. And I want to give a big thanks to the Hey Mama community because that's how I found Rachel. You'll hear a little bit more about them as well in this episode. Be right back with Rachel Finger. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on Atomic Moms. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, I found you through this membership community for founders, creatives, and entrepreneurial mothers called Hey Mama. And I was looking through the website and I came across this incredible blog by you. And the title of it was Finding Strength from the NICU. You have a crazy story, Rachel. And I was like, I don't know you. I'm going to reach out to you and be like, can you please come on my podcast and share this? Because the details are mind-blowing. So let's back up to it's Thanksgiving. You're 23 weeks pregnant. Tell us everything, Rachel. 
<laughs> yeah, it's so funny because I think that, um, first of all, Hey Mom is such a great platform and I'm so happy that they have brought all of us together in this way because I just think it's it's really powerful for all of us. So thanks to them. And I'm so glad you found me there. Um, but yeah, it was Thanksgiving in Miami, my first time pregnant. And, you know, we were hosting close to 30 people and it was a crazy day. I was running around and I remember that evening someone had asked me, if I felt them kicking a lot and I realized I hadn't, but I didn't really think much of it. Uh, someone told me to go in a quiet room and see if they kick. And I didn't really think at that point it was anything alarming. So I went to bed and then the next morning I saw blood. So my OB said, okay, come see me at the ER, at the hospital that I was working with. And I still didn't think anything of it. I assured my family I'd probably be back by lunchtime, no big deal. And it turned out when I arrived that I was having contractions and they kind of gave me magnesium and all this stuff to stop that. And in the meantime, did an ultrasound to find out that I had something called twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. And that happens to about 15% of identical twin pregnancies. And basically what it is, is because they share a placenta, uh, the blood flow that goes from, you know, from my core to both of them gets redirected, one getting more of it, the other getting less so of it. And both are in peril. Not, you know, getting more is not better. Getting less is not worse. It's kind of bad for both of the babies. Um, it turned out that one of the specialists and the experts and the creator of the in utero surgery that has been known to correct that um, diagnosis is based out of Miami. So, of course, it's Thanksgiving weekend and he's not in town. So I'm sort of, you know, at the the first hospital and they're just trying to stop the contractions and keep me pregnant until I can see this man and hopefully get the surgery that I need to correct it. And um, finally, I think it was like, that was on a Friday that I was admitted and maybe Monday, Sunday or Monday, I was transferred to the other hospital and we arrived and the specialist kind of came with his team and they did an, an ultrasound. And, you know, I mean, the look on his face kind of said everything. And at that point I realized, I was like, okay, this isn't great. But he said, look, we have a few different options. We're going to do the surgery. I can definitely save baby A. I'm not sure about baby B, but, you know, what do you want me to do? Which I thought was kind of a strange question because, you know, at this point, there's there's no one over the other. You just have to do everything you can to save both. I don't, I couldn't imagine making a decision like that. So when they said, you've got this TTTS syndrome, you've got the, thr- uh, yeah. the triple T syndrome. The twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, the idea being that if you chose one of the babies, that that that, that baby would have a, a better chance of making it than if you chose both children. I think that um, because the one that was getting more of the nutrients, she was, um, you know, like the blood was flowing the incorrect way in her heart. So she just wasn't, she was already kind of, I mean, failing, if you will, mm-hmm. is how they kind of said it. Um, so... That was why I think it was iffy, but I think that he knew with baby A, you know, she wasn't quite as bad yet. So he felt like, you know, if he's going to put more energy into one, that was where it would be. But that just wasn't, that wasn't an option for us. We just said, listen, you've got to do everything you can to save both of them. And, you know, if it, if it doesn't work out, we'll, we'll come to terms with it at that point. So um, within probably an hour or two, I was in the OR and did the surgery one of the things that he requested and required from the previous hospital when I was there before he'd even see me was for them to, to stitch up my cervix because I had been going into labor. So it was already opening. And the doctor there didn't want to do that because there's a lot of risk in sort of nicking, you know, and 
causing labor to come even faster. You know what I mean? So, so it was a really risky surgery to do that. So he stitched me up there and then I was transferred. He did the, in, the specialist did the in utero surgery. And after that, you know, we sort of, for a few days, it was just a wait and see game. We said, okay, you know, let's see if it's starting to correct itself, if the blood starts to flow the way that it's supposed to. And after about two or three days, he was happy with the results. He said, okay, we're improving, which was great. But at that point, we weren't sure the damage that had already been done because once that happens, you can cause, you know, severe developmental delays, cognitive delays, um, permanent brain damage, all of that kind of stuff. So we weren't sure. So regardless, we were saying, we were seeing that they were improving and we're sort of just hoping for the best at this point. Um, and then it's usually if you have that surgery, you're actually able to go home and sort of live the rest of your pregnancy normally, if you will. But because I was, um, I went into early labor, he was really worried and he ended up having to stitch me up again after that surgery because he felt like I was still kind of, the cervix was still opening up. So he stitched me up again and just said, lay down in the hospital bed until further notice, basically. And every day he'd come in and kind of just say, the goal was just stay pregnant. You know, how are you feeling? Stay pregnant. I mean, it was to the point where I couldn't take a shower. I couldn't, you know, they didn't even want me using the bathroom. So that was a very humbling experience. What would you do? What did you do, Rachel? Because I was on modified bed rest and that was hard enough. (laughs) I cannot imagine being you know what oh my gosh yeah there was a lot of books read someone introduced me to like you know some good tv series i think i watched like you know luckily there was what was that do you remember friday night lights where there were like a hundred gajillion episodes that that kept me very busy um and yeah i mean just books and visitors would come and it was luckily it was football season. There was that. It was a lot of TV and reading, oh to be honest. But, <laughs> you became like a regular. Like this was. Were you friends with all the nurses? You lived there. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it was I like did. you studied abroad at the hospital. I studied abroad. Yeah, exactly. It was. It was a little vacation. <laughs> terrible. I, mean, had, I, I was there for from Yeah, it was terrible. I was there for Christmas, but you know the family brought oh in a little God. mini Christmas tree for me, and yeah, so that was kind of. I mean, it just. It just was what it was. You know, every day we kind of, we had so much stuff up on the wall. We had a calendar and every day, like a pediatric cardiologist or neurologist or, you know, all these specialists come in and say, okay, well, here are the statistics of what happened being born today or, you know, a week from now and Mm. blah, blah, blah. So my husband is really, really an information staff guy and was Mm. like, look, okay, I think that if we get to 28 weeks, that's when everything is like, you know, a little bit more palatable and we have a much better chance at not having all these sort of permanent and developmental delays and all this stuff. So in my mind, I said, okay. And I said, I promise I can make it to 28 weeks. And, you know, I don't know how I decided I could make that, but I did. And so fast forward to 1 a.m. on the first day of the 28th week and I started having contractions again. So it was kind of crazy because, you know, I really truly believe in, you know, the power of thought and just I think a lot of that is what I used to get through that time too. Rachel, I feel like you could be on Tony Robbins. This is like your mindset. Oh this like where did you learn this? I I don't know. It's just that time. It's it just kicks in. Like yeah. like you said as a mom, right? You just it kicks in and you go and you do whatever it takes. And my husband and I are complete opposites in that way. I mean he's a real positive thinker, but when it comes to information, it's like he gets he gets so much of it and he dissects it and he just completely goes over it again and again and again. And whereas like, okay, I hear something once, 
I decide what I'm going to think about it at that time, you know, at least in this particular situation. And I was like, okay, well, it's just not going to apply to me. It just doesn't matter. And we're just going to get through it. So I think that had a lot to do with it, but I think it's hilarious that at 1am on the exact day of the 20th week, I started going into labor again. And so the doctor came in and he said, okay, look, like we're just going to have to deliver this time. We can't keep you pregnant anymore. So, um, you know, it was weird because up until this point, all you're trying to do is stay pregnant. So you don't realize that this is, you know, he's like, okay, you're going to have a baby. Now we've got to start to say, this is good news. Right. Whereas as I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, oh no, oh no. Right. But we kind of had to change our mentality and say, okay, we're having a baby today or we're having two babies today. So we had them. It was, oh, and by the way, it was New Year's Eve just to make it a little bit more exciting. Just to make it um, like a Grey's Anatomy girl, episode. I can imagine like, yeah. you know, exactly. the, the nurses are wearing sparkly earrings just to like jazz it up. Like, <laughs> You are so right. Really? When I tell you that there were sparkly crowns and all, I mean, the nines, all of it. In, I mean, right up into the, to the OR, that's what I saw. It was very festive. (laughs) Okay. So you have your twins. And then when you, what was that moment like when they were like, okay, they're here. Like you, did you hear them cry? Like, what's it like at 28 weeks? Because I, I know that they're not fully developed. So where, what was that moment like where you were like, oh my God, they're okay. At least for right now, they're out of my body and they're okay. That's exactly right. And I didn't know what to expect. I mean, these are my first babies. And I think that's actually part of what got me through this as well is that I didn't have an experience before that I had to compare it to. Yeah. So in the in the end, I really like am grateful for that because I think it would have been a lot harder had I already had one. Um, so yeah, they did. When they both came out, they both cried. And I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if they would, if they wouldn't. And I hadn't been prepared either way. So when I heard them both make a sound, I literally just felt the biggest kind of relief come over me and thinking that they're going to be fine. And that's completely irrational. But for mm-hmm. that moment, I thought, okay, they're fine. They're breathing. They're fine. And they kind of do their whole process where they whisk them away and they give them a whole mm-hmm. analysis and put them straight away into their incubators with you know the oxygen and all that stuff. But we were really fortunate and it's amazing. They say that you know preemie, girl preemies do a little bit better than boy preemies sometimes just because of lung development. They they develop quicker. Mm. So that probably is part of the reason they, they did as well as they did just being girls, but they weren't intubated, which was really nice. You know, they didn't have to have the tubes put in for oxygen, but they did have the nasal cannulas. So that's what kind of helped them breathe. And that was a constant monitoring of, you know, where they were at and they'd have to go up and they'd have to dial it down. And I think one of the things that it doesn't seem like a big deal, but then you kind of research what that means and if they have too much oxygen, that can actually cause, you know, brain damage. And so then it becomes a whole other thing in the NICU of managing the treatments that they're getting and asking so many questions. And like you said, being your kid's biggest advocate and just really questioning everything that, that everyone's doing, everyone's saying, even if you don't know what it is. Um, and I think that was the biggest learning curve. Yeah. With, you know, your husband being the researcher, Maybe I should ask him this question, but was there any sort of guidebook or was there a website you would turn to or did you rely on what the doctors and nurses told you? Like, how did you get your master's degree in, you know, the NICU? Uh, Yeah, I don't think that I did for sure. I think that that's exactly right. That's a good, good question for my husband. So, yeah, he does 
most, a lot of the research and again, questions everything. If he doesn't know about it today, he's going to know everything there is to know about it tomorrow. <laughs> and I think that I was still sort of in that, I was still sort of in that like numb kind of just going with the flow thing. Like, okay, this is, I need to show up every day. I need to go, I need to hold my babies on my chest and, you know, um, just get through the day, read to them, talk to them, love them. And that was just sort of my mission. I wasn't really, you know, and then mm-hmm. they would come in and they would say, okay, we're going to do a, a scan today and it's for this and this is what we're looking for. And uh, actually my, my one and a half year old just came to visit me at the office. So Aww. if you're hearing her, I apologize. No, <laughs> tell her to join the show. This is all about, this is about your big sisters. <laughs> exactly. So who she's really trying to be friends like, to no avail these days, but totally, um, we're in the same boat. I have a one-year-old, and my daughter's turning five this week. Actually, oh. yeah, September 11th, and yeah, she's trying so hard to be friends with her, and it's you know, it's a love-hate thing right now. <laughs> I know exactly. If I could, if I could will it to happen, I would, but unfortunately, I don't have that much control. So yeah, so they need to, but I feel like um, I don't. I think it was just a matter of, I didn't, I I almost didn't want to do the research because I kind of didn't want to know all of the things that could happen. So in my mind, I was like, okay, let's just push through this and we'll deal with whatever happens when it actually happens. It also sounds like you took more of like a, to get super hippy dippy, but more of a heart centered approach. Mm -hmm. While you let your husband deal with the facts, you were able to be more attuned to the babies because you mentioned holding them. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about kangaroo care? Yeah, I was really kind of blown away by the power of that. Um, you know, the hospital was fantastic at first, like to say that it, it was a level three NICU, which is, uh, you know, one of one of the you know best prepared for these types of situations in the country. And the nurses there, I mean, these people just deserve so much accolade and rewards. And I mean, some of the most special people I met in my life. But, um, you know, they were the ones that really kind of introduced the kangaroo care and really encouraged it. So they showed studies, like especially um, in South America, where these babies were in the hospital and people would go, you know, whether whatever reason they were there, they wouldn't necessarily have a parent that could be there with them. And they had volunteers, they had nurses, and they would go and they would hold these babies, you know, just skin to skin. And they would find later that the amount of developmental, cognitive, physical, all of the delays that are possible with this premature birth were really not as prevalent when they practiced this. So it was just my strict mission every day. Like I said, I went in in the morning and I just sat there. In the beginning, I could only hold one at a time. So I spent half the day with one, half the day with the other. And finally, I think the best day ever was when they were able to put them both back together Mm. with me for the first time. And it was, I mean, it was powerful for me, but it was also, I think, really powerful for them together because, you know, they spent all that time in the womb together and then were just kind of separated. So it must have been, it must have been a really good feeling for them too. Oh, that's so sweet. What can you um, share with us? I'm like still stuck on that. I don't want to move on in the conversation. I just want to like sit here thinking about your twins being reunited. It was, yeah, it was really cute. I have the best picture of them just like almost holding hands on my chest. And it's like, I think it was just like the biggest sigh of relief to them at that point too. And and to to this day, I mean, they have such a crazy bond. I know twins have this crazy bond in general, but these two are just so in sync and they just cannot 
they do everything for each other. They're constantly thinking of each other. One goes out of the room. It's like, where's Ivy? Or where's Stella? <laughs> or, you know, Aww. what's Stella eating? What's, what's she drinking? You know, it's constantly looking out for each other. I mean, it's just such a special bond that they have. It's, I'm, I'm just so blown away. What's the best piece of advice you got in the NICU? I think that it was just to take things day to day by day um, because you can get so caught up in what the future will hold and what diagnoses may or may not be brought to your attention. And, um, you know, again, it's just such a wait and see game and you don't know and you're not going to know even maybe potentially for several years if there's a, a lifelong kind of um, repercussion from what's happened. So it was it was certain days in the NICU were great days, certain days were kind of you felt like there were setbacks, but you just had to go with it. You had to roll with each day and start fresh the next day. And you were just mentioning the bond between the older sisters. So my question to you is, how did you decide to have another child after all of this? (laughs) I think I just wanted to know what it was like to have a normal pregnancy or normal birthing experience. I know that's not really, that doesn't exist normal, but just to know what it's like to have one at a time and, you know, to hopefully have a solid, a solid, um, like yeah. kind of semi-predictable birth. So, which I did, I was lucky enough to have a decent pregnancy. I did get diagnosed with um, gestational diabetes, which was just more of a oh. pain and, you know, a pain yeah. than anything else. Um, no, that seems very challenging. I've had friends with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just annoying. Were you able to take your daughter home with you from the hospital? Uh, funnily enough, I was this time, but she did, they did take her away for like, and I stayed an extra day with her because she had like, jaundice, she had pretty bad jaundice. Mm-hmm. So they took her away and they kept her in the incubator under the blue light. So I was a little bit frustrated with that because I was like, seriously, like, I'm not going to have the baby in my room this time, you know, like, so Aww. it was kind of annoying, but we did leave together. So that was a big win. And I will say, I'm really glad I did it because having like, you know, twins is unreal. It's so amazing, especially like that moment they turned two. It's like mm. kind of I want to say smooth sailing because they just entertain each other, which is great. That first you know year and a half, two years, especially with the you know delays, it was it was very difficult. But having one at a time is really amazing. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Such a different experience. <laughs> so Rachel, I flipped over the story behind your business, and also I'm a huge fan of your website. It's gorgeous. And it's going to be in our show notes. And I asked if we could do a little giveaway because I like to treat our listeners and you were so generous. I'm really excited about this giveaway. So please tell us about this company you've co-founded and listeners stick around to the very end of this episode where you will hear all the details on the giveaway. Yeah. So Griffin Ivy Rose is actually inspired by and from kind of the story with the twins. So, you know, because of those sort of predictable setbacks that you have with prematurity, you know, there was just some challenges that were were more magnified for them than there than there would be for other children. So, when the conventional pediatric recommendations weren't working, I started taking them to acupuncture, and I saw immediate results with you know like digestion and irritability and sleep. Um, he would he would give them a treatment, and then I would go next door to his son Orion, who's my partner at Griffin Ivy Rose, and he would prescribe different herbal blends and formulations to help. So within a week, I was kind of blown away because they were different kids. And like I said, it was really challenging in the beginning. So to within a week, kind of our lives to be much more seamless and happier, happier babies, happier parents, I was really excited. And we kind of came together and said, look, this is something that all parents need to know about and have at their disposal. So we came together 
and we put together what we kind of feel like is a lifestyle and wellness regimen for kids. It's all very much based on herbal medicine and natural ingredients, really clean, really safe, really effective stuff. So we have three different categories within the brand. We have bath and body, we have probiotics, and we have herbal elixirs. So we kind of call the probiotics and the bath and body our daily maintenance program where you use that daily and it's just a preventative approach to strong immune health. And then the elixirs are great because those are more solution-based for challenges that you have. So we focus on sleep, digestion, mood and irritability, and then another elixir for uh, overall immune support that you can also get daily. So we're super excited about it. Um, the feedback's been phenomenal. And it's just one extra thing that we have, one extra tool as parents that we can go to and use before, let's say, you have to go to the pediatrician or you have to give antibiotics. You know, we just kind of want to exhaust all of those options before doing that. Oh, man, Rachel, thank you so much for sharing your story and being so generous in this giveaway we're doing together. So listeners, next I'm calling Stacey Merwin. Her story is bonkers. She suffered preeclampsia. And you should also know Stacey's white. The reason you should know this is because I want everyone to be aware of that New York Times piece, Why America's Black Mothers and Babies Are in a Life or Death Crisis. I'm quoting here, high blood pressure and cardiovascular disease are two of the leading causes of maternal death, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Preeclampsia and eclampsia are 60% more common in African-American women. And then in a December 2017 NPR story, it states, in New York City, which is where Stacey lives, I'm quoting, black mothers are 12 times more likely to die than white mothers. So there's room for improvement, right? Come on, America. Okay. I'll get off my soapbox now. Here's my story with Stacy. I'm so glad that everything turned out okay with her. She is such a warrior spirit. You are going to love hearing from this woman. Okay, everybody, dance along with me to this super annoying Skype call song. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Um, well, thanks. It's only been about, you know, 18 years. <laughs> so catch me up. Oh, my God. So I've been living in New York for 12 years. I did theater forever. And then I said, peace out. Before that, Josh and I got married in 2011. And I've known him since 2005. And, you know, I'm, I work at a hedge fund. I've been working in financial services since I left theater. And now I am living my best life at a hedge fund and working as an executive assistant and working my butt off. And we live in Manhattan on the Upper West Side. And we started trying to have kids in 2014. And then we got pregnant about six months later in 2015. And then we miscarried. And then trying, 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 and there was no luck. And then we did a couple HCG shots and then we did an IUI and that didn't work. And so we did the IVF route and a number of months later, we have our twins. Tell me a little bit about them. What are they up to today? They are, they're going to be 15 months on the 17th. Their names are Jack and Samantha. And they were born at 32 weeks plus five because I had severe preeclampsia. So it was 
uh, it was one of those situations where they needed to come out because my body was basically shutting down. And because they are uh, preemie, they automatically qualified for special services from the state of New York. So they get physical therapy every week, twice a week. They get occupational therapy twice a week. And my daughter, she gets a, a speech therapist, like a feeding therapist, because she's currently having issues with her tongue. So she needs help with eating um, more regular food, not just purees and milk. They're a little bit delayed in that they're not walking yet, and but they are fully mentally there. They are so happy and they are so joyous and they love music and they love to dance around and they love seeing their faces every day. It gives me ultimate joy. <laughs> How did you celebrate their first birthday? We had a little birthday party at the house and it was a puppy dog theme. And I hired someone to come do a music class for a bunch of kids. And we had a huge, way oversized sheet cake that was delicious. And the kids had a wonderful time. Now, to go back to your pregnancy, what were the signs of preeclampsia? And can you describe it to our listeners? Of course. So the signs of preeclampsia are noticed when you have a lot of swelling. My, I usually have very tiny ankles. My legs were double the size that they normally were. And my blood pressure was very high. And I had to one day stay overnight in the hospital because they noticed that my blood pressure was very high. And I did a 24-hour urine protein test. And I got to go home the next day. And then um, a couple weeks later, they noticed that my blood pressure was really high again. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was much higher than it should be. And they had me do another protein urine test, but this time I could do it at home. And when I came back with the urine and they tested it, I ended up getting a call the next day saying, hey, you need to come to the hospital. You're going to be here for one week, but your preeclampsia is too severe that you can't be at home alone and you need to be monitored. So we thought that we were just going to hang in the hospital for a week and then they would do a scheduled C-section. But it turns out my preeclampsia got so bad that that night in the middle of the night, I ended up having my emergency C-section. Wow. Yes. So... I, when I was in the hospital, the nurse who was amazing, she said, if you're starting to get headaches or you're seeing spots, you need to tell me. So I was fine. They gave me magnesium mm -hmm. for um, the blood pressure and it was horrible. Having magnesium is disgusting. You're sweating everywhere like a pig. It's awful. And it was just so gross. And you also get a catheter, which is the most unsexy thing that you could ever experience. And then during that whole process, I started to get a little bit of a headache. And I was really hoping it would just be because I was tired. So mm -hmm. I told the nurse, but she said, let's monitor it. So they gave me something, but it just kept getting worse and worse. And by the time 1 a.m. came, my blood pressure was still through the roof. And they said, you know what, we need to, we need to go ahead and get these babies out. So 
my husband had just taken a sleeping pill and he was next oh to me. Oh my God, stop and it. So I, <laughs> no, he had not. No, no. <laughs> so Stacey. he was deep in rest and I was like, Josh, and he didn't wake up. And I said, Josh. Oh and he was like, what, 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 what? He could not get his shit together. So he eventually <laughs> got it together. I was crying. We, and my parents were in Europe at the time because they were celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary. So luckily it was about eight hours ahead. So I knew that or seven hours ahead. I knew they would definitely be awake. So we called them and my mom was freaking out and Josh called his parents. It was the middle of the night. And then we went for the C-section and it was not my doctor, but it was the doctor on call, but she was in their practice and she was unbelievable. I delivered at Columbia. If you live in New York City, you need to be at Columbia, best <laughs> children's hospital in New York City, hands down. And so, so you were able to me, keep the babies where you delivered? Yes, Absolutely. Okay. It's the best NICU in the city, and my medical team was amazing. After I had my epidural, I got really sick and started throwing up, and I kind of fainted, and my blood pressure started to, my heart rate started to drop majorly, and my daughter's uh, heart rate started to drop. So it turned, it was a pretty dramatic delivery, and when they opened me up, they couldn't get to my son because my doctor said your ab muscles were so strong she couldn't get to him so <laughs> that is like to- the weirdest humble brag i've ever heard stacy <laughs> absolutely total humble brag and then she so she had to cut not only the regular way but she had to cut through my transverse abdominus no. to get through to jack so she could get him and then so jack came out first he was 3 pounds 12 ounces And then Sammy, who was actually growth restricted while she was in the womb, Mm. came out at two pounds, two ounces. She looked like a little alien for the first like Mm. three months of her life, but she was the cutest alien ever. And then they were in the NICU and my son was in the NICU for five weeks and my daughter was in the NICU for six and a half weeks. And it sucked and I cried every day, but seriously, it was the best thing that could have happened because we had so much more prep that we had to do for the babies and we just needed the time and my body seriously needed to rest. I had major, major surgery and no one who's had a C-section, they don't tell you how bad it is. No Mm -hmm. one tells you. Everyone just says, oh, I had a C-section, you know, that's kind of rough. Uh-uh, that shit is crazy. It is, I was in the hospital for a total of five days and it was, it was no joke and I... I never want to be pregnant again. (laughs) Yeah, I don't blame you. So, Stacey, when you end up with your emergency C-section, what do you do? You just send an email to work, like, "Hey, guys, I'm going to be out now for like for a really long time," and and I'm curious, how did you uh, negotiate with the office about when you were going to spend time with your newborn babies in the NICU? course. So my, my job where I was uh, while I was pregnant is the most incredible place ever. And they knew that I had a difficult pregnancy and they were very supportive of me 
doing what I had to do. So when I told them I needed to go to the hospital, they were going to begin my maternity leave anyway, and which was totally fine. And I, we had that agreement. And then it turns out that it was going to start, my maternity leave was going to start earlier than expected. So I sent the whole, my whole team an email, my HR manager an email, you know, I'm actually going into labor right now. Oh I can't believe you had to write and, this email while you're going into labor, while your husband's yeah. taking sleeping pills and your parents are in Europe and they're telling you that your blood pressure is too high and yet everything around you would make your blood pressure even higher. So you're writing yeah, this email. I Continue. I, okay. I worked with amazing people and they were all great and it was all good. And I was very lucky to have uh, my my maternity leave paid and my boss at the time, she was really incredible and she knew how upset I was that I didn't get to spend as much time with the kids at home. So she gave me an extra two weeks fully paid a hundred percent. And that was our little secret agreement. And I could not have been more grateful mm-hmm. for that. And I was very, very lucky. Tell me Stacy, about, you know, five days after your delivery and your C-section, and it's time for you to go home from the hospital. Can you walk me through that? Because I think for me, and I'm sure, I don't want to speak for every mother, but most mothers, when you leave the hospital, even when you are carrying your baby out the door and trying to figure out the car seat, it's an incredibly emotional experience to see the rest of the world has continued on. I remember with our first daughter, Sabrina, Adam driving us home and we were driving down Beverly Boulevard, like past the Grove in Los Angeles. And there were all these people eating brunch. And I thought that was so weird. Like, how could people be eating brunch? Like we had a baby in the backseat now. So what was that experience like leaving the hospital without your little ones? It broke my heart. I cried so much. When I am, and I mostly cried when I was home. I, it was very hard because my mom came after, right afterwards. And I just, I cried every morning before we went to the hospital because I kept, I was lonely without them. I already felt such an attachment to them and I couldn't bond with them like I wanted because they were hooked up to all these tubes. We had, you know, we had a lot of skin to skin time and I would visit every day, but it still wasn't the same as having them. And I felt like part of me was missing. And it was very difficult the first few weeks, just not being with them and me being, you know, I, I was very happy with Josh and I was you know, really focused on my recovery and I was pumping eight times a day and super focused on that. But it was still it was still very sad that I couldn't be see, go see them any time I wanted just in their bedroom. I had to go to the hospital to go see them. And it, it, it was very, it was very painful. What were the nurses like? What were your relationships with the other people in the NICU? I imagine that waiting area becoming like a really strange I don't know. I, I would imagine that it's sort of like a, a play, like no exit or something like this I, <laughs> this idea that there's this room where people are waiting and everyone's 
you know, it just sounds like the worst, like you're stuck at the airport for five weeks, but it's a, an airport where, you know, every moment there could be a life and death decision to be made. It was the NICU there, the babies were basically in a suite. So there were a bunch of babies in one room, but they were separated. They had very strict rules about, you know, not seeing other people's children. Privacy was the number one thing with safety, of course. So when we were there, the nurses were just wonderful, very protective. There was only one nurse who I basically fired from taking care of our kids. She didn't pay attention to things that I asked her to do. I could tell that Jack was too hot. And Mm -hmm. I asked her to please take off some of the blankets because they always wrap them in blankets in the NICU because they're watching them all the time and it's fine. But he, I could, I was feeling him and he was too hot and she wasn't going by my wishes. And then when we took his temperature, it was super high and I was furious. And then, um, Samantha was on a CPAP, which is something that helps them breathe and because her lungs still needed to develop and her CPAP kept falling out. And she just, it was just infuriating that she wasn't taking the time to really make sure that my babies were okay. So she was the only person that I did not want to watch my kids ever again. And I complained and they were very respectful and responsive, but the other nurses could not have been sweeter. They were all different ages. They were all different backgrounds and they really treated our babies well. And they took such good care of them. And they were so supportive when I wanted to breastfeed them. And when I wanted to hold them, if I said, I want skin to skin, they said, okay. And there were no questions asked. They would take off all the blankets. They would Put, they would keep the CPAP in for Samantha, but she would be able to be wrapped in just with me. And they were, could not have been more helpful. And they really listened to me when I would feel emotional. They would hug me. They would really take care of our kids. And it was just, it was a really great experience. I brought clothes for the babies and they would change them into their little clothes. It was just, it was great. It was a wonderful experience. Though painful, I couldn't have asked for a better experience. How do you think it changed you as a parent? It really puts things, it not only changed me as a parent, but changed me as a human being to put things and keep things in perspective and realize what is important and what really doesn't matter. Like if, if someone says something about me, ugh, it doesn't matter because I have healthy kids. And for some time, I, my kids, really just needed to grow and get bigger and they weren't as healthy as other kids. And that was really freaking scary. And it really made me remember what is truly important in the moment. And that's something that I'm still learning every day with my kids. I imagine it would be very stressful on a relationship at different times because it would be the two of you and then no one else totally gets it. What were ways that you and Josh were able to support one another through this? There was a lot of listening. And we really listened to each other's thoughts and feelings. I remember when Josh told me once that he didn't, it was hard for him to feel a connection to the kids because they weren't there. And I encouraged him to um, help me with the laundry and to smell their clothes and to really just 
look at their clothes more and to hold the clothes close to him. I know it sounds weird, but it really helped me doing that. And when you go to the hospital, just hold them as much as you can for as long as you can. That's something that was definite therapy for us. But Josh and I really leaned on each other and it brought us closer together. The whole pregnancy brought us closer together because we were, I mean, this is another story for another day, but we were in serious crisis mode and we really had to be a team and I couldn't have asked for a better partner. You're saying you were in crisis mode before your delivery or? Yes, major crisis mode before my delivery. Um, We were at another hospital beforehand and the hospital basically told us there was no hope for our twins and we should terminate the pregnancy. So this, wait, so you got, uh, okay, that's, so when did that happen? And why did they think that you needed to terminate the pregnancy? That happened back in March. So in March of 2017. So we went for my anatomy scan at the original hospital where we were, and they discovered that Jack had elevated fluid levels in his brain, which is also known as ventriculomegaly. And Samantha, they said, was three to four weeks behind in development. So we were put in this predicament of figuring out what to do. And the main reason why this was such a shock was because the doctors at this first hospital we were at did not treat my pregnancy like a high-risk pregnancy, but we don't want to question doctors. We want to just trust that they're looking out for our best interests, and they weren't. My most high-risk pregnancies, you go in every two weeks. They were only seeing me every four weeks, and my anatomy scan got pushed because of a snowstorm, so I didn't have a scan for five weeks for a high-risk pregnancy. So when we were having my anatomy scan, um, that's when we found out all this information and my terrible, terrible initial doctor started immediately discussing options for termination. And it was pretty horrible and I'm still traumatized by it to this day. I still have visual nightmares and, um, I had two MRIs to take a look at the kids mm. and it was it was a pretty horrific experience and one of the many reasons why I don't want to be pregnant again. Yeah. It's we're so glad that we ran away from that hospital to Columbia because they ended up saying, "Look, we have to do all the genetic testing and we have to we have to really wait till we get the results." And the doctors at my old hospital, we did all the genetic testing and they tried to, they were still pushing us for termination without getting all the test results because I quote this doctor verbatim when he says that the test results do not matter when in fact, of course, they mattered. It was all about the genetic testing. So, but he was going on vacation and he wanted to make sure that we had a plan. I have emails that say that. He wanted to have a plan. So when you went to Columbia, what did they say? And how many weeks was this before your emergency C-section? This was at 20 weeks. 
Mm-hmm. And they said that Jack's fluid levels in his brain were not severe, like the other hospital said. They said they're mild. And Samantha was only two to two to two and a half weeks behind, not three to four. And they immediately hooked us up with every single specialist that we could see. Mm. We saw a, a pediatric heart doctor who said their hearts are perfect. We saw a, we had another MRI where they took another look at the babies, an even better one than the other hospital did. We also met with a pediatric neurologist. He's one of the top, his name is Neil Feldstein. And he specifically told us, look, this is a very mild case. If there's, if he stays the way that he's supposed that he's staying, there's no way I'm going to do anything to your boy. He's not mm-hmm. going to need a shunt. He's not going to need anything. He said, this is a very, these are very promising results. And my son is perfectly normal and perfectly healthy. And um, yeah, so we, there's, even more to the story with the other hospital, wow. but it's, um, it was very, very traumatic, Ellie. It, I wish the pain that we went through on no one. Well, it, it also, it's so devastating to think that if you hadn't been able to be an advocate for your family or to get a mm-hmm. second opinion or to live in a major city where there are other options, and yeah, if you weren't Stacy how different things could be. I know. And I knew when these children were in my stomach, I said, I am their mother and you, Josh, are their father and we are their advocates. No doctor has any right to play God with our kids. Well, Stacy, now you've heard of the vulnerable child syndrome. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten any advice about how to handle the anxiety of letting your children out into the world? I would be like, no, Eliza was at risk for preterm. I was at risk for preterm labor at 27 weeks and I was put on modified bed rest. And like, even that I'm like, okay, Eliza, you should just be in this baby carrier the rest of your life. I'm just going to walk around yeah. with you on my chest. <laughs> So what what advice have you gotten about that? And has that been an issue at all for you or for Josh? And yet, how do you look at the world as a safe place after you've been through so much already? I remind myself how lucky we are and how blessed we are. And I, whenever I think about how scary this world is, and I sometimes I ask myself, how could I have brought children into this world? I ask myself that quite often, but then I remind myself of the blessings that these children are and how they are going to make the world a better place. I know my kids are going to make the world a better place. All of my friends, kids, and your daughters are going to make this world a better place because we can only go up from where we are now. And I remind myself when I have fear that these kids are going to make this world great because that's all I can count on. I can count on myself to be the best parent I can be, and I can count on my kids to make this world safer and happier and more joyous. But no pressure, kids. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> you better be good. <laughs> you, you got a lot of you got a lot to save kids. You, got, you better 
and it's not even me saying, oh, they have to be doctors. It's about, right. you know. Although clearly we need some better doctors. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So I just, you know, if Sammy wants to be a dancer, you should see her move. This child, she does not stop moving for two seconds. It's hilarious. Then she'll be a dancer. If Jack wants to play soccer or if Jack wants to be a teacher, he'll be the best teacher there is. So that's how I know that they're going to make this world special. What would you say to your friends and family when they would want to visit? Like, would you let them visit? What are the rules? Because yeah. I'm thinking about how annoying it is at the beginning with a full-term newborn. And they're sure. like, please wash your hands. And what do you mean you're bringing, especially with the first child? The second child, you already have one who's got a preschool cough. <laughs> at least this is clearly just yeah. my experience. So it's not as big of a deal. But I remember with my first child, I'd be like, what do you mean you're bringing your three-year-old over with a, a runny nose? Are you crazy? So what? Yeah. how do you get it across to your loved ones that like, this is really, really serious? And how did you lay down the law, Stacy? Sure. We, well, it was required to, it, you want to go to the NICU, you had to have your Tdap shot. So if you did not have your Tdap, you weren't going near anyone in the NICU. And at our home for the good, for the first few, two months that the kids were at home, if you didn't have your Tdap shot, you were not coming into the house. That was, that was the main rule. Or if you had any kind of sniffle or cold, just no. It was a hardcore no, because I just, we had to just keep them safe for as long as possible. So I didn't have many rules. I wasn't, you know, super uh, crazy about it. But if you were sick in any way, shape or form, absolutely not. And you had to have your Tdap shot. How did you interview your caregiver? Because I just feel like, oh, after going through something like that, I would have a checklist of a I've million I've known things. her for a long time because we used to perform together. And I knew that she had done some night nursing. So she was helping me out with that. And then it turns out her babysitting job was ending. So she was available for us. It was the biggest godsend ever. Alicia is the most wonderful human being. And I'm so lucky to have her. Oh my God, this is amazing. Do you guys ever like sing together? We have. We used to sing together, but we haven't sung together to the kids. But that's the best idea. Oh, that's awesome. Any last words? What would you say to yourself in that moment when Josh has just taken that sleeping pill and you realize you're going to have these babies? Like, what, what, if you could go back, what would you say to yourself? You are getting ready for the best time of your life. And this is the time for you to be strong, but don't be afraid to be vulnerable when you need it. It's easy to put on a face and to, just just act like you can handle everything. But sometimes, and a lot of times, we can't handle everything. So when you're in the moment, you be in the moment 100%. But when you need to take yourself out of the moment, it's okay to be vulnerable. And it's okay to cry. And it's okay to just scream and, and just be. Well, Stacey, thank you so much for letting me call you at the office. Of course. Thank you for having me on your wonderful podcast.
Listeners, we want to treat you to the Griff and Ivy Rose experience. So follow at Atomic Moms and also at Griff and Ivy Rose on Instagram, and you'll see the giveaway post on Friday, September 21st. It's going to be this chic, giftable box of their six most sought-after products, perfect for the parent who's looking for support for their little one's immune system. And the retail value is $150, and we'll be giving away two boxes. So please share this episode with friends. And if you heard an ad at the very, very beginning of this episode, please support the companies supporting us. It's helping pay the technical costs of the podcast. So if you'd like to sponsor an ad on the podcast, reach out to management at atomicmoms.com. That's, it's shortened management. It's M-G-M-T at atomicmoms.com. Subject, advertising. Until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms. 